I didn't really want to, after such a short period of time, we hardly accomplished what the vision was that why would you just sell this thing, right? I'm not in it to cash out for a million bucks and walk away. That's not exciting to me. What's exciting to me is building a technology or scalable platform that millions of people will use. That's what's exciting to me. Welcome everyone to Do Well and Do Good. You're here because you have the desire to create financial freedom, but you also want to make a powerful, positive impact on the world. This podcast exists to tell the inspiring stories of men and women who have achieved both, people who do well and do good. I'm your host, Dorothy Ilson, and I'm here to help you discover proof that individuals have the ability to make a massive impact. Welcome back, everyone, to episode 88. I am so grateful that you're here and excited to tell you about today's guest. His name is Jason Will, and he's the CEO and founder of Zipkick, a company that matches digital influencers with brands looking to ignite their growth. The company is known for exclusivity, accepting just 7% of influencer applications. But see, this commitment to culture and quality has paid off, leading to partnerships with brands such as Benihana, Blue Apron, Dunkin', and even Uber. Jason himself is passionate about giving back, especially to the MS Society, an organization he's been involved with for over a decade. I was so excited to talk with Jason about that here on the show, as well as about some of the struggles that he's gone through with Zipkick, including when he was forced to pivot and really go in a different direction after the rug was completely pulled out from under him with factors completely out of his control. The way that he took this you know, seemingly very difficult situation and turned it into a brand that was even stronger than before and has gone on to be so incredibly successful really speaks to Jason's tenacity and the mindset that he has cultivated as an entrepreneur. I know that you are going to get so much value from this episode, but before we jump in, I want to remind you that the vote for the Do Well and Do Good Challenge is coming up here in just a few days in our free Facebook community. So head over to dowellanddogood.co backslash FB so you can be a part of that, which you'll hear more about at the very end of this episode. So without further ado, here's my conversation with Jason Will. Jason, thank you so much for coming on the show today. I'm excited to have you here. Thank you for having me. Wow, what an introduction. Oh, I'm so glad. Well, let's dive straight into your story. What was life like for you growing up? And what was the mindset around money and success that was instilled in you as a child? Uh, that's a good question. Um, honestly, I didn't think of anything outside of playing hockey the rest of my life. You know, being a kid in Minnesota, I uh, played very competitive hockey when I was a kid, you know, had a taste of the success from an early age. And uh, unfortunately, had a pretty bad injury as a goaltender and had to stop doing that. And that kind of burning passion or just that competitive spirit doesn't go away. And I channeled that into entrepreneurship and coming from a family that did brick and mortar entrepreneurship. It really was just, how do you take the lessons learned from all of this and apply it to something? So then what did that look like after you you realized hockey wasn't going to happen? Did you jump straight into entrepreneurship? What did it look like getting into that game for you? Well, my parents said, you have to go get an education. So I did that at the University of Minnesota. And they also said I had to work for them. Um, So that's what I did. And um, 
you know, learned the brick and mortar entrepreneurship sort of world and uh, realized that wasn't for me. Um, I don't believe in businesses where there's a fixed location or time that you can transact. I was always very interested in this idea that you should be able to build a business that operates 24 hours a day, anywhere around the world. And really, that leads to endless opportunities for you to scale a business. That's what I'm interested in. And what I ended up seeing and recognizing through that experience is, is that the brick and mortars do need help. They do need somebody who thinks more digitally, more scalable, uh, even though they are in a fixed location. And I want to be that counterpart that can help them do that. So tell me the story of the start of Zipkick. Uh, three guys literally in a house in San Francisco, sitting down and brainstorming ideas. I remember one of the guys that I met uh, very early on in the days in San Francisco. I uh, told him to meet me at a Starbucks in the financial district. I sketched it out on a napkin at Starbucks. And that was kind of like the birth of Zipkick. And that is kind of similar to, I think, how a lot of these things start, right? You have an idea, you jot it down, you try to explain it. And then it goes through you know, 35 different uh, mutations over the course of what has now been uh, nearly seven years. So it's just the constant evolution of being in touch with where the business industry is going and what people are looking for and what people are telling you that they need. Um, so based on all of that, it's just been this uh, incredible journey. Yeah. Well, I certainly want to get into you know what Zipkick is is really known for and, and doing so well now, which is matching influencers with brands. But before we do that, I mean, my understanding is that the Zipkick that you created originally was a very different company from what it is today. So talk to me about that. You know, what was the original concept and how did it evolve? Yeah. So I was working for Accenture in Chicago. So I moved from the Twin Cities of Minnesota to Chicago was one of these uh, road warriors for uh, just over a year with them. And I was booking an insane amount of travel. I actually looked the other day. I've logged like almost 400 nights. Uh, now it's in Marriott system, but at the time it was all through SPG. Um, and I was like, wow, I can't believe how many nights I actually logged uh, over the course of the couple of years that I was traveling. What really dawned on me was is that um, the websites that you use to book travel Right, are predominantly airfare hotels and cars. That's predominantly what people book on all of these aggregator sites or just travel sites in general. Now it's becoming a lot more experience-based, but especially the core of all the travel industries based around those three categories. And what never made sense to me during this whole process was, is that why did none of these sites understand what I wanted after booking 400 nights in hotels? Like, I have given you such an astronomic data set on one individual who has very consistent buying behaviors, but they can't predict anything that I want to do going forward, right? If it knows that I travel every Thursday through Monday or every Monday through Wednesday, or I book these hotels, I stay on this floor, these are the amenities I'm looking for. Why the heck is it not sending me a message once a week to say, hey, do you want to book that thing again? We have a sneaking suspicion that you probably want to do that. And we built the first recommendation engine for the hotel industry that ever existed. So it sat on top of the inventory of a third party. We uh, partnered with a company to be able to book our own reservations, which is very unheard of for a travel startup. Uh, it took me 18 phone calls internationally to find the right partner to do that. It was very, very tough. I've actually never done anything harder in my life than start that first version of Zipkick. Four and a half months after launching it, a company in San Francisco approached us and said, hey, you built what we've been thinking about for the last three and a half years. 
said, Oh, okay. So what do you, what does that mean? And they basically were like ready to buy it. I mean, that's really the only thing that they wanted to do. And I don't know, I just got done working for somebody, you know, and, and as an entrepreneur, you really just don't want to work for somebody else, right? Like it's different when you take on investors, it's still yours, but I didn't really want to, after such a short period of time, we hardly accomplished what the vision was that why would you just sell this thing, right? I'm not in it to cash out for a million bucks and walk away. That's not exciting to me. What's exciting to me is building a technology or a scalable platform that millions of people will use. That's what's exciting to me. And when you have an idea like that, I mean, you could sell it for a million dollars, but that could easily be a billion dollar company. Right. So like, this is how I thought about it. I'm like, okay, fine. Let's say I cash out for a million bucks. Okay, great. Then I'm this person's employee for four years. And I build this into a, what, 200, 300, $500 million business under their umbrella. No, like I'd rather just walk away and not take the million bucks. And that's what, and that's what we did. So you know, eventually, obviously, you, you ended up making a major pivot. How and why did that happen? We didn't really have a choice. I woke up one day and all my reviews are gone in the entire platform. And I'm like, uh, somebody playing a bad joke on me or what's going on here? Turned out to be TripAdvisor in, I think it was October of, I don't know, 2014, 2015, something along these lines. I'm sure somebody has a better date than what I have off the top of my head. But TripAdvisor went from being a review platform to also booking platform. And at that point in time, three, four years ago, they were like, why would we just give this free review data away to these commercial partners that are monetizing off of our review data when we're trying to compete with them now on bookings? So they literally cut off all of the review feeds overnight. And if you wanted to turn it back on, it was an absorbent amount of money, like to the point where I was going to go bankrupt like three times over. The point being was I didn't have a choice, right? Like literally somebody pulled the carpet out from underneath me and it was the hardest lesson because at that point in time, what I realized was this, I've only experienced something from the outside looking in similar to this when I saw what Facebook did to Zynga. Okay. And for people that are not familiar with the history of Facebook and Zynga, the Facebook Zynga story is very simple to understand. Facebook built a platform and said, Hey, Zynga, you're a game developer. Why don't you build all your games on top of our social platform and people will play them? Oh, you can keep all the money. And then once we own your entire platform in terms of social gaming, we'll take a little bit for ourselves. We'll take a little bit more. Well, you can't really tell us to stop taking money because we kind of own you. So we'll just keep on taking more money, right? And then Zynga had to lay off, I don't know, like a third or two thirds of their company and go through a whole restructure of what they focused on in terms of business, right? I felt the same thing happened to me, but on such like one grain of, of sand versus like an entire desert, right? Because I didn't lose millions or hundreds of millions of dollars. I lost, you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars, right? Or whatever in, you know, a while of my time. But it was your company. It was what you had. Yeah. So like, you know, these things happen and I don't think people understand the degree to which these things happen. And guess what? That's when the resilience kicks in. That's when the, I will never give up. I will never wave the white flag. And if nothing else I've proven over the last seven years that I refuse to give up, like, I don't care what possibly comes in our way. It's just never going to happen. Yeah. I mean, I think this is a really important story, Jason, because I mean, it's easy in the abstract to think, you know, I, I never give up. I'm resilient. You know, I'm always going to, you know, fall down seven times and get up eight. But what did that look like for you? I mean, you lose all of your views. You wake up one day and they're gone. You figure out why. You figure out what happened. 
what did you actually do next? I mean, how did you start to move forward from that and figure out what the pivot even looked like? Well, we had already started to build a little bit of a community of influencers at that time. This was back, you know, five years ago, six years ago, when influencers are not nearly as prominent as they are today, right? Everybody now is some sort of influencer. And I say that in the nicest way. People, you know, use it as kind of like a joking term, like everybody thinks they're an influencer, but legitimately everybody does have influence and in some degree, right? Some of it's online, some of it's offline, whatever it is, but everybody does have influence to some degree. Okay, fine. So I started seeing this kind of happen. I actually was on Twitter and uh, that's when Twitter was really cool, um, you know, that many years ago. And uh, I've since moved on to places like Instagram and Snapchat and, you know, other spots um, that are a little bit more prevalent nowadays. But I recruited a social media influencer who was based in Asia. He was a American guy. He decided to leave the States uh, in the late 90s, uh, spend all of his time after that overseas. And I was really fascinated. I'm like, this guy's got 535,000 followers on Twitter. He's a nobody anywhere else. Like he hardly had any followers in other places. Like Instagram hadn't really blown up for him the way that it has today. And Facebook, not nearly as much as it is today. And I was just like, wow, this is really cool. Like if I could recruit this guy and I could convince him that we're going to build something together and he's going to be my conduit to tap into a community of people that I don't have access to because I don't have the relationships that he does, this could bridge my kind of gap to getting up and running. Okay. So I had two Skype calls with him. And then I decided after the second Skype call, I said, Hey, Scott, you know what? I'm going to book you a one-way ticket from Thailand to San Francisco. I'm going to put you up and uh, we're going to build this together. I didn't know the guy. I, I talked to him twice for less than 30 minutes. I flew him halfway around the world, picked him up at the airport. It's as if we should have known each other our entire lives. And we just became the best of friends, even still to this day. What Scott did for me was he helped me seed the influencer community with all of his close contacts. And that's how we were able to get back up and running a lot faster than I think most companies would otherwise, right? People kind of sit there and they're kind of plagued by what just happened. I'm all execution, right? Like the longer I sit here and, and mope about what just happened, there's nothing that's going to change my scenario that just happened right now. I'm not going to call TripAdvisor and somehow convince them to turn this thing back on. It's not going to happen, right? Move on, right? And I realized that, wow, maybe I should have sold that thing, you know, a handful of months ago and built that under somebody's umbrella. But the point being is, is that by Scott coming in as a brand ambassador for our company, I shortened that gap to get up and running and build this community. And he was instrumental in helping us do that. And then after that, it really was just building and building, building from there. Yeah. I mean, I think you kind of hit the nail on the head with the big challenge in starting really any sort of marketplace type of business, right? You know, you need supply and you need demand. So, you know, what advice would you give to someone who is starting a business of that type to successfully see the community and just get it off the ground? This is the thing. If you're not finding brand ambassadors to represent your company and giving them a piece of the pie to help you do that, you're doing it wrong. I can't even tell you how many people just last week, there was a company in Los Angeles, two guys, great, nice guys. I met them two weeks ago. I don't know these guys from Adam, right? But the point being is, is that I like the guys. They're very, very nice. And they're building something pretty cool. The ability to uh, grow microgreens within a restaurant to give you a true farm-to-table experience when you're a customer that's dining there. I think it's cool. I also like the plant-based uh, sort of businesses as well. So I like to support that. A week ago, I 
basically introduced him to one of the top five vegan chefs in the United States. She's the greatest person. She's the amazingly talented uh, chef. And I said, you know what? I have nothing to gain here, right? Like there's no monetary value I get out of this other than the fact that it's good karma paying it forward. And I'm connecting this vegan chef who I know loves plant-based things. I'm connecting these two guys that have no ability to tap into that sort of level of, of person that has influence in this space. I'll connect these people. They're both in Los Angeles. Why not do it? Pay it forward. This is the kind of stuff that I'm trying to push brands to go towards because if you're not doing it, everybody else around you is at this point, right? When I first did this back in 2000, I don't know, 13 or 14 or whatever it was, I remember somebody said to me in San Francisco, they go, what is wrong with you? I said, what do you mean? What's wrong with me? They're like, are you okay? Like, you don't know this person. And who is this person that calls themselves a social media influencer? That's not even a real thing. Does this person even have a job? Like, and I said, I know what I'm doing, right? And now years later, I was one of the first ones to do that. And now you start to see how prominent it is. Yeah. Well, so let's go deeper into this whole atmosphere of, of influencers and brands and influencer marketing, marketing that has been created and is really thriving off the back of Instagram specifically. Would you agree with that? I definitely agree with that. Yeah. So, you know, for all of these influencers who are, you know, building these these platforms, you know, on or excuse me, these personal brands on a specific platform, how do you see the future of influencer marketing changing, you know, as, you know, as different platforms rise and fall, you know, of course, for a long time Instagram was not really a big player and it seemed like Facebook was taking over the world forever and now, you know, things have obviously changed. So, Talk to me about how you know Zipkick in particular is positioning the platform to ensure longevity. You know, as the forces in this influencer marketplace change. So there's kind of three different ways to break all this down. That was uh, there's a lot to unpack there. <laughs> Number one is is that your personal brand should be you. Okay, like I always love when people are like Miami foodie one two three, and I'm like. <laughs> That's great. But when you travel to New York, they really don't care about your Miami foodie one, two, three, right? So my point being is, is that my first recommendation is, is that you want to be you, right? You don't want to pigeonhole yourself to, you know, donuts are life, you know, like that's not what you're trying to do in terms of a brand, right? Because you need to keep yourself wide enough where you can actually morph and ebb and flow. And it doesn't matter based on your geography or based on if you're having lunch or dinner or breakfast or a snack, you should be able to create really rich content on behalf of your audience, right? To get them to engage. That's first and foremost. The second thing is this, is that you should be on at least two platforms. Okay. And when I say at least two platforms, if you don't at a minimum have a website that you're trying to drive traffic to, and bring them in to have your own personal dialogue on your website, whether that's through an email blast or whether that's through just engaging ways for them to interact with you on your website, um, you're doing it wrong. Okay. So if you don't have a website, you need to put one up and you need to start driving traffic there because ultimately that's your long game, right? That's your brand. So if Instagram does go away tomorrow or Facebook does go away tomorrow or any of this stuff kind of goes away to some degree, you still have your kind of uh, community that you've built around something that nobody can take from you, okay? That's kind of the, the first piece of it. Where I see kind of the future of influencer marketing is, is that 
one thing I want to clarify about Zipkick is, is that influencer marketing for us was step one of many, 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 many steps in the Zipkick journey. This is the part that I think a lot of people looking at Zipkick from the outside in don't fully see in terms of what we've actually built. And that's okay. It will become a lot more clear here shortly because we're getting ready to release the next big tranche of what Zipkick really is. So Zipkick, after the pivot, right, that we did from the hotel industry really became this influencer community. We started making recommendations for uh, restaurants, bars, and cafes. Think about it as the influencer-only Yelp, okay? We built that over 300 cities around the world, six continents with data, crazy, crazy, crazy amount of data. 18 months ago, we stopped focusing on the app. The app sat there with a ton of data. People were consuming that data. That's great. We focused on our platform because now it's about parlaying ourselves into a true platform because we're becoming a marketplace. This is the part that I see the future of digital media going, not just influencer marketing, right? So if we can separate these two topics. What I see the future of digital media is, is a marketplace where you can connect brands. Influencers are one of the parties, but I also see freelancers working their way into this mix as well. Right Today, these are looked at as two separate parties. Right, I go to Upwork, I go to Fiverr, I go to an influencer marketing platform, yada, yada, yada. But everything is very segmented. Okay, If I'm a food brand and I want to have somebody, let's say, write or ghostwrite for me on my website, because that's not what I do well, and I'm building a platform out or for my own personal brand, how do I find a freelancer that knows the food space, that focuses on the things that I need them to focus on and has the knowledge in order to execute that at a degree that it sounds like me as an expert in that industry. You can't go to Upwork and find that. You can't go to freelancer.com and find that. There's a million people that call themselves writers, but to find the person who's a foodie that specializes maybe in vegan or keto or this or that or whatever is impossible to find. And LinkedIn from a professional network, you cannot find anything there. I've got 15,000 connections. I cannot figure out what to do with these connections, right? Like I can try to market to them at scale, but like from a time and place, let's say I need a writer right now, do I know if that person exists in my network? I have zero idea, okay? So the premise is this. You need a marketplace platform that fills the gaps for what you need to be filled at the time that you need those gaps to actually be filled. The example I often give is if I'm a photographer, let's say in Los Angeles, and I'm working with a aspiring model, great, right? I have the photographer, I have the model. Now I need the makeup artist. You can go to Zipkick in what we're getting ready to release, and I'll talk about that here in a second, you can post a request on the platform that says, I'm a photographer. I'm looking for a makeup artist to help me with this uh, shoot for an up-and-coming model. And in exchange for my photos that you can use for your portfolio, I want you to you know, spend one hour with our model and you know, do her makeup. Okay, fine. You create whatever value you want. You can either exchange value or you can exchange dollars for value right, from somebody else. However, the people want to do it within the marketplace, that's their decision on how they determine value, right? I don't want to get in the middle of how people determine value and how their skills match up to somebody else's in terms of complementary things that they do. So within the next eight weeks, what you're going to start to see is a massive rollout on zipkick.com beyond influencer marketing to expand into a freelancer marketplace. Because influencers, believe it or not, most people look at influencers as just people that posts on social media or just have a website. But I'm going to tell you right now, the majority, if not all of the influencers also have secondary tertiary skills that are way beyond just posting social media. 
They're designers, they're photographers, they're videographers, they're bloggers, they're editors, they're all sorts of crazy skill sets. They're not able to put any of that to use today and monetize that. So my thought is, if I'm an influencer based in Miami and I travel to Portland, why can't I monetize my skills when I land in Portland? That doesn't make sense, right? Uh, Today, if you're not knowing of a restaurant or a bar or a property or whatever in Portland, you basically have to pitch these places two months, three months in advance to try to host you, to try to do this, to try to do this. And sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't, but it's very rare that you get paid. My idea is if you're an influencer, great. That's one skill set. If you're a photographer, that's another skill set. And we build value for you within the marketplace. So how does that work for Zipkick as a business? I mean, obviously something like Upwork, you know, they're taking 20% from both parties. It's insane. What does that business model look like for you? Pure subscription model. Okay. So the whole thing is, is that you have three parties of people, right? You have what is kind of your brand. Okay. You have your quote unquote influencer, right? Which is a category. And then you have freelancers, right? And all of these parties, they're joined by the glue that they focus on really the exact same thing, right? Food or beverage or lifestyle or travel or fitness or whatever. But that's the glue that connects them together within a, a, a community that's like-minded, right? That's what doesn't exist today. So the point being is this, is that what also happens is it's not just peer-to-peer and it's also not just brand to individual. It also could be brand to brand as well, right? Like if you're hosting a conference, let's say in Chicago, and you say, I'm looking for one food sponsor, one beverage sponsor, and one clothing sponsor, why can't you post that to the platform? We push that down to the companies that are interested in doing sponsorships within the vertical that they want to expose their brand. Why can't we connect brands to each other to do these things? I don't care if they use the platform a thousand times or 50 times or 10 times a month, pay me one flat fee. I don't need to get in the middle of your business and escrow your money and be the Judge Judy who you know, figures out, did you do what you were supposed to do in between to you know, finish the transaction? That's for people to self-police on the platform. That's what reviews are for. That's what you know, the rating systems are for. That's what the recommendation system is for, is to get this stuff right. So that's how I see the future. Now, if you go talk to somebody else who just runs an influencer marketing platform, they're going to tell you, no, the future is us. I, I, I can't agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's absolutely fascinating. And influencer marketing, it's something that you hear about more and more and more. And you know, people are really talking about this, but even so, it, it's really in its infancy. So I think that what's very cool and why I was so excited to have you on the show is that Zipkick is really emerging as a leader in this space that is able to really influence the direction of this whole area of, of marketing as a whole. So I think that that's really, really exciting. And I can't wait to hear more about this, this new launch and what you're creating. So, you know, I want to change tracks a little bit, Jason, because, you know, of course, do well and do good. This is all about, you know, how we can leverage the success that we're creating in our business and our life to, you know, really make a greater impact and and do more to give back and, and help other people. So, you know, I know that that's something that you are passionate about. Could you talk a little bit about that and how this success that you've created with Zipkick has been able to, you know, allow you to do more in that sense? Yeah. I mean, this has been a, a journey for me for a long time. I remember when I started my internship at the Donaldson Company, which is based in the Twin Cities. You know, I didn't walk into that internship and say, "Hey, I want to go uh, get involved in any particular not-for-profit or charity or, or things of this nature." What I always saw from a very early point in my career is is that if you do the right things and you pay it forward and you surround yourself with people that 
do those similar things and have that similar mentality that can really help you evolve as a person. And to me, that's kind of the selfish way to look at it, which is like, I felt like I could really grow as a person by getting involved in these things, not really understanding the full impact downstream, right, of those efforts. So I started getting involved in 2006. That company is a very big uh, sponsor of the MS Society. And every year they did a uh, 150-mile bike ride over two days. I always loved food. My parents were in the grocery business for 45 years. And they said, hey, you know, we need somebody to help us uh, make all the food for the riders after they come in from their rides. They're starving and this, that, the other. So I basically smelled like barbecue for two straight days because <laughs> I, I cooked for hours and hours and hours with my colleagues in order to prepare the food. And I saw that as my kind of way to help provide for the overall atmosphere to this whole thing and, and also help raise money for the MS Society. So that's how I started getting involved. It wasn't um, particularly because I had a family member or somebody you know, with this very uh, kind of personal story attached to it. I think oftentimes people get involved in these sort of charities because of something like that. For me, I really just saw it as a way to get involved and try to help other people because in general, that's just a good thing. So I've been doing that for a long time. Um, actually, just recently here in San Diego, where I am now, the local uh, coffee place was actually one of their employees, uh, unfortunately, has a pretty significant impact of MS. So, you know, going there and supporting them and donating money and like every chance that I get to actually go dedicate towards a charity or that sort of thing, my answer is typically yes, just because I know it's the right thing to do. Absolutely incredible. Well, Jason, I just couldn't be more impressed with you and everything that you've created. And I could really keep this going all day, but unfortunately, we're running out of time. So I have one final question for you. Now, as you know, here on the show, we have what I call the Do Well and Do Good Challenge. So this is where I encourage our listeners who want to give back to contribute to the nonprofits that are nominated by my guests. So could you tell me what organization you're nominating and why? So there's a gal in Los Angeles, and she has a organization that is known as Angel Bags. And uh, hopefully you can put the link in uh, the notes for that. And um, the reason why this one in particular really struck a chord with my heart is, is that Angel Bags, what they've done is, is that they've taken a group of women that are in transition, either from uh, domestic abuse scenarios or uh, transitional. It could be just hardships in their life, but they're very much in a transitional moment. And they create these boxes um, really from the, the pure hard work and dedication of these women that can articulate themselves in a very creative way within the box. And everything is really meant to come full circle. Like even the paper inside of there has seeds for you to go plant it. And the bags are all hand painted. So you know who it is that actually created it and the story behind it. But the bags actually inside are meant for you to hand to other people that are in difficult situations. So a lot of corporations are buying these boxes and bringing them in house and saying to their employees, when you go out for lunch and you see somebody on the street who needs something or, or uh, somebody who clearly could use some help, take one of these bags and hand it to them. Right? It has some essentials in there that can you know, help them in that moment of need. I love it. I just everything to do with it from start to finish, the way that it's been articulated by her and just the the careful thought in each stage of it, to me is something that everybody should get behind. Absolutely amazing. Well, Jason, we will certainly link to that organization in the show notes with all the information. So if you're listening and you want to learn more and get involved, that is definitely the place to go. And Jason, before I let you go, you know, where can our listeners go to learn more about you, about Zipkick, and to follow your content? 
Sure. So at Zipkick on all the platforms, uh, whether it be Facebook, Instagram, that sort of thing. You can also go to zipkick.com. You can actually sign up to be one of our influencers, uh, soon to be one of our freelancers. That's another way to get in touch. And then my personal handle is Jason B. Will, W-I-L-L. And I'm more than happy to engage with people. Jason, thank you so much for being on the show today. It's been a lot of fun. Thank you. Appreciate it. All right, everyone, that's our show. Now, before I sign off, I want to introduce any new listeners to how the Do Well and Do Good Challenge works. There are two ways that you can participate. The first is if you are looking to do more to give back, I encourage you to contribute to any of the nonprofits nominated by my guests. Send a screenshot of your receipt to challenge at dowellanddogood.co and your donation will be included in our monthly tally of the tangible impact this podcast is having. The second way you can participate is absolutely free and that's by voting. See, in the first couple days of each month, we host a vote inside of our free Facebook community to determine which of the nonprofits nominated the month before that I will then donate a portion of my advertising agency's profits to. It's an awesome way to make your voice heard, and we've been able to raise money for some incredible organizations doing good in the world. So if you'd like to be a part of it, then head over to dowellanddogood.co backslash Facebook, where you'll find a link to join the group. Once you're inside, I'm also sharing tips, ideas, resources, and more to help you both increase your income and your impact. We're having so much fun inside there. So head over again to dowellanddogood.co backslash Facebook, and I'll see you on the inside. It means the world to me to earn your time. So thank you so much for listening.